Well, it's good to be here with you guys today. What a sweet time of uh, communion and worship that we've already had. We're in the, just the last couple messages in our Better Than series where we're talking about how Jesus is better than anything else or anyone else. We're doing that through the book of Hebrews, and so if you have a Bible, you can open to Hebrews chapter 9, or you can open up our church app and follow along there. But as we get started, just think of this one thing. Have you ever heard a truth so significant it immediately altered your life? Some of those statements could be, this one's a little uncomfortable, you're fired, right? Well, yeah, that changes things. That changes things for at least a few weeks here. Or maybe it's, I'm engaged, I'm getting married, and you're like, you are not, you will not do do that, but that's that's a big deal. Or, I'm pregnant. Now, this one, man, I'm not, this isn't just significant because of the new life that is created. Did you know you can't have deli meat for nine months? I can relate. I remember one time I opened the drawer and there was no deli meat in there and I was like, man, this is, this is how pregnant ladies feel. So I can relate. Was that a smart thing to say, men? No, no, it was not. Listen, I read an article in Inc. Magazine called 20 Brutal Truths About Life No One Wants to Admit. Look at number one. You're gonna die and you have no idea when. What, I mean, why even read the rest of the article? It says, so stop pretending that you're invincible. Acknowledge the fact of your own mortality and start structuring your life in a more meaningful way. That, that's a great statement. That is a truth that we should try and understand. We shouldn't fear that truth, but we should think about it, and we should make plans to figure out what does that mean in our lives. It's exactly what Hebrews chapter 9 says in verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I believe that truth. I believe what Inc. Magazine says. And so I I feel like we have to talk about these things. It can be a brutal truth to talk about judgment. But I believe that we are appointed once to die, and then after that, the judgment. We should think about that. We should structure our life around that truth. And it's not just death and judgment, but the fact that Jesus wants to bring us salvation for all those that are waiting for him, whose hope is in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about difficult truths today and how Jesus is better than everything else in our life. And the first is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, which says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We see here that Jesus is better than our isolation. I know there's times where you just want to be anywhere but where other humans are. And and people do that to us. They hurt us. They annoy us, they bother us, you know, and we just say, I just want to be away from humanity right now. And for for a small season, that can be a helpful thing to withdraw and collect yourself. But we can't live in isolation. And so why should we seek community over isolation? I want to give three truths from Scripture before we jump back into Hebrews chapter 10 on why it's important. And the first is that community keeps us satisfied. Genesis 2.18 says, 
it is not good that the man should be alone. God recognized that. He created man and he said, that's just not enough. I gotta create woman also. There needs to be family. There needs to be more. We can't just have isolation. So because we were created for community, we will find satisfaction when we are connected to community in a healthy way. Even for our introvert friends, and you say, oh, here goes another extrovert talking about introverts. How fair is that? Well, I, I did some research. Because I can so, it's hard for me to understand introverts. My wife describes herself as an extroverted introvert because of, because of me. Um, but I found a website called introvertdeer.com. It's a great website. All these amazing articles on introverts. And there's one I found that says, yes, introverts need their alone time, but they need community too. It says, just because introverts recharge from being alone, they still like connecting with others. And so the main part of the article is six common myths about ways introverts socialize. And I thought point one was amazing and connected to what we were talking about today. Introverts want to be alone always. That's the myth. Her response is, all humans are made to live in some sort of community. Introverts, introverts are human beings. That's a good place to start. Okay, I can understand humans. Therefore, community is going to have a role to play in our lives. It just, it's going to be a different role from the role it plays in an extrovert's life. Successful living is virtually impossible alone. Even if you do survive, you wouldn't call it thriving. Introvertsdeer.com. Community is for all of us whether we've been hurt and wounded by other people, whether we recharge alone or not, we need to make time for community, especially Christian community. This is how we're gonna find satisfaction in life. But community also keeps us sound. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, breaks out against all sound judgment. Sometimes when all we have are our own thoughts, the truth is we can just get weird. Sometimes it's helpful to bounce things off other people, get their opinions. We don't have to find our truth in other people or in consensus, but sometimes without that, that uh, person to bounce ideas off of, we can get weird, and I can prove it to you. Let me prove to you that you get weird when you think about these things alone. Flat earthers, right? I mean, come on, I'm sorry if you're a flat earther. If you are, let us know, because we're all gonna chip in quarter million dollars. We're gonna send you up towards space. You can see the earth is, is curved there. I read an article yesterday about a, a flat earther that spent $20,000 on a laser trying to prove the earth was flat, and it backfired, and it actually proved the earth was not flat. And so, but listen, these are the things you come up with when you're, you're by yourself. Now, if you're a flat earther who is only saying that to bother other people to make them feel gullible, I respect that. That's actually something that's worthy of praise, but if you actually believe it, you need to teach you how to do some research. Listen, community keeps us satisfied, sound, but also safe. First Peter 5.8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We've all seen the Nat Geo episodes, whether it's a lion or whether it's a wolf. They try and scare the herd, hoping that one chooses the wrong direction. Okay, we're all going left. I thought we said left, you know, and, and the one gets all alone, and then they find that one. Sometimes, on rare occasions, the herd comes back and saves the isolated animal, but, but usually it's just a tasty meal for the lion. Community keeps us safe. The enemy is trying to isolate us, to make us think, oh, the people around me don't appreciate me, they don't value me, they're speaking poorly about me, about me and tries to separate us from the church community, we need each other. We need to reach out to those that have separated and say, come on back, come, come be with us. 
because community keeps us satisfied, sound, and also safe. So how do we seek spiritual community over isolation? Well, let's first talk about how we draw near to God, then we'll talk about how to draw near to other people. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, we see we draw close to God by first being responsive. Being responsive. It says, let us draw near. It doesn't say, wait for the Lord to draw near. Why? Because he's already done that. God has already proven that he loves us. He's already drawn near to us. We need to respond to God's first move. The next move is on us. And so, let us draw near. There's an iPhone feature for a text messages called read receipts. Very dangerous feature. Where if you don't turn it off, when you text somebody else or they text you, um, they'll be able to see when you've read it. So it'll say delivered and then it'll switch to read. And then what do you do? You think, okay, good. I must be getting ready for a response now because they've read it. Surely they're going to respect me and respond. And after that, if it's just waiting and waiting and waiting, you're like, what in the world? I know you read this. I saw that you read this. So you might want to turn this feature off. It, could be, it can be helpful. But listen, God has already initiated with us He's there waiting. He's done his part. We have to decide if we are going to respond to the good news or not. We draw close to God by being responsive, but also by being real with God. How we draw near is with a sincere heart. We, we bring all of our baggage. We bring everything. We just dump it on the Lord respectfully. All right, we say, Lord, this is who I am. This is how I feel about you. This is how I feel about other people. And we can be sincere with God, and that's so healthy. There's another iPhone feature that just came out that we've been all hoping for our entire lives. It's the unsend feature. It only works if the person you're texting has upgraded their operating system. But if you send a text message and then you realize, oh my goodness, I sent a text talking about that person to that person instead of the other person. Ah! You hit unsend. And what it does, it doesn't save you entirely. It'll still leave a note on their side saying, this user unsent a message to you. And they're going to be like, well, what, what, what was so bad that you had to unsend it? You're like, oh, nothing, nothing. I was just saying hi, and I meant to say hello. Uh, forgive me. And Listen, with God, we can be real. We unload on God, and we say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. And we don't have to say, well, let me edit that, or let me only bring partial truth to you. No, we are sincere and known to God, and he accepts it. And we should also draw near to God with confidence, that's why we can be sincere. It says, with the full assurance that faith brings, we can have assurance and confidence knowing that God wants to hear from us, that he loves us, and that we should just, by faith, go to him. So that's how we draw near to God. But how do we draw close to others? Well, first in this passage, we see by being inspiring. It says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word spur means to, like, incite uh, to, to egg on, to fan the flame, right? To, to really stir up in other people's lives. It's as if when we are left to ourselves and we don't have a healthy community, we default to apathy, to complacency. And we need other people that love us enough to say, come on, let's, let's serve the Lord together. Let's have faith in the Lord together. Let's do good deeds and works together. We don't always default to those things. One of the amazing benefits of community is what you can do for the rest of the community, not just what they can do for you. You can inspire them towards the Lord. And we draw close to others by being consistent. It says in verse 25 that we should not be giving up on meeting together. 
Our founding pastor, Dr. Ron Armstrong, used to always say, if you're in town, you're at church. And I've heard many people say that was something that echoed in their head. So on Sunday mornings, they didn't have to wake up and decide, am I going to church or not? They're, well, I'm in town, I'm at church, right? And they were consistent. And those, I found that, that those that have that kind of a mindset where they are weekly attenders here at church, it's connected to a spiritual maturity that those that are only coming once a month don't necessarily have. Sometimes there's a reason why you can't always come every single week, and, and that's fine. But if it's just because I don't feel like it today, you're never going to feel like it, right? We're always going to think, ah, oh, maybe I'll just do something different today. But that consistency is so important to our own growth, to the transformation that God is trying to do in our lives, so we draw close to others by being inspiring, consistent, but also inconvenienced. It says in that same verse that some are in the habit of doing this, of not meeting together. And if it's just a habit, that's a bad habit. We need to break that kind of a habit. We, we really value the fact that we can put out a live online stream for people. We value it so much, they actually mix the audio specifically for online so it sounds good for those at home or in the car that are watching the live stream. So we value that. But the purpose of our online viewing is for those that are sick. My, my, my kids are sick today and so they are watching online. So it's for those that are sick it's for those that are traveling or on vacation. It's for those that have had a work schedule change and they just have to work on Sunday mornings for a season. It's for those that are, that are homebound, right? They're taking care of someone else that they can't leave or they're unable to get a ride to, to church. And so it's there for a reason and, and praise God for that. It really does help. But it's not there for bad habits. And I think for some, COVID has created bad habits of saying, well, it's just convenient to watch church in my pajamas and still be eating and get some crumbs all over the couch. It's just, it's just convenient to do that. Well, listen, we should be inconvenienced. If we want to grow spiritually, we should be inconvenienced. And if we're, we're in town, we should be at church. So if it's for the wrong habits, we have to change those habits because I don't think any church can say honestly that we can disciple you online. Now there's too much growth that happens one to another in the community for that to be possible. It's not just about a message and some worship. It's about our interaction. And finally, how do we grow close to others by being inspiring, consistent, inconvenienced, but also encouraging? Encourage one another. That's when we speak into each other's lives, when we say, how are you doing? And they say, just not good. <laughs> Okay, the world has kind of beat you down this week. I want to build you up in the Lord. And that is our conversations one to another that does this. So Jesus is better than our isolation, no matter how we get recharged. Now, before we move on to the next point, I just want to ask a question, a bit of a blast from the past. But have you ever watched an alternate ending on a DVD menu? Right? Have you ever watched an alternate ending? It's, it's kind of hard to do that in the streaming day today, but an alternate ending is an ending of a story that was considered, maybe even written or produced, but ultimately discarded in favor of another resolution. There's a movie from 16 years ago called I Am Legend that, um, that when it came out, the main character dies in that movie. Well, now that they want to do a sequel... They realized, man, we're really in trouble. How are we going to do a sequel when we already killed off our main character? Well, there were alternate endings for this movie where he didn't die. This doctor lives and continues on, and they're basing the sequel off of the alternate ending, not the one that they showed us. It's going to be based off of the 1954 book's original ending, not the one that was in the movie. So why do I say this? 
When it comes to our faith, I just think it's wise for us to consider what is the alternate ending of not following Jesus, right? What is, I mean, this alternate ending in I Am Legend wasn't chosen originally because it didn't test well to the test audiences. They're like, no, we want the hero to, you know, to just save everyone and die. And that's just better than him living. And he kind of became the villain in the alternate ending. They don't, they don't really like that. It didn't test well. Well, guess what? Talking about judgment like we did in Hebrews chapter 9, saying words like hell and sin and depravity, those things do not test well in culture, do they? You're like, no, I even feel uncomfortable now. My daughter, uh, yesterday I was talking with her and I, I told her how I was starting the sermon by talking about the brutal truth. You're going to die and you have no idea when. She goes, well, dad, what if somebody's visiting Cornerstone for the first time? That's a little rough. You should tell them that like Jesus also loves them. I'm like, I, I, yeah, thank you. Yes, Abigail, I will, I will also do that. So if any kindness comes out of me today, it's my, my nine or, oh gosh, 11-year-old. I hope they watch the first service. I love you, Abigail. You're the best. You're 11. I'm, you can stay up late tonight. Listen, listen, the hard truth of Scripture doesn't test well in culture, but it's true. It doesn't matter if it tests well, if it's true, if we actually believe it. Inc. Magazine believes it. We need to believe it. Look at verse 26 of chapter 10. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace? For, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And listen to this. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is not something that's going to test well in culture. That is not something it's like, oh, that'll be a nice, comfortable kind of... It's true, though. If I'm going to be faithful to the Scriptures, I can't skip over that passage because it's uncomfortable. It can change our lives to understand this. Listen, Jesus is better than the alternative, it, when, we, when you look at things, is it better for me to enjoy sin and rebellion against God for a season, but then that's it. I get my 80 years and then I'm punished for that. Or for me to have a bigger picture and say, God wants me to last billions of years and how I live my life now and what I believe matters for the afterlife. Listen, it's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God as an unrepentant sinner. We should be afraid of that. But it is an amazing thing to fall in the hands of God as a forgiven sinner. You will find yourself secure in the hands of God, not fearful about that. The freedom and satisfaction that comes from a life following Jesus will always beat anything this world offers. And so we have to decide if we believe that. The, the believers here were being persecuted because of their faith and they still endured. Look at verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Jesus is even better than our earthly comforts. 
He, he's better than our conveniences that we have here. The believers that were, that were being written to in this book endured physical pain and inconvenience from others. How could they endure that? Because they truly believed in the spiritual blessings that God was doing in their lives. They, they believed in that. I'll tell you what, ver verse 34 that I just read is one of the most difficult verses I read each year because the Lord uses it to show me how far I still have to go when it comes to believing in my salvation and appreciating and enjoying the spiritual blessings that God has given me. I look at this verse and realize I need to grow more because these believers were able to joyfully accept the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What this passage isn't saying is that people can just trample over you, steal your stuff, and as a Christian, you should let them do that. It's not saying that. In today's day and age, we have a recourse for people stealing stuff from us, and the law will help us with that. When they lived, they didn't. They were being persecuted by the government, and so when they would say, hey, this guy stole all my stuff, they'd say, well, we don't really know what you're talking about, and they would turn a blind eye. And so when there's nothing you can really do, and all you can do is take matters into your own hands and, and fight those people and take what's rightfully yours, or these believers were so right with God, they were so much enjoying their relationship with God that it was like, it was like something that didn't matter was being stolen. It's like if someone stole a Hot Wheel from you, but not your car. Like, you're just not gonna freak out over that, unless it's a collector's edition, I guess. But like, you're, well, I still have my car. It's not a big deal to steal this little toy. They treated their earthly possessions as completely secondary to the things of God. Wow, I've got a long way to go. I wanna be a, I wanna be a Christian that when I pull into a, a grocery parking lot and somebody slams their door into mine and it creates a big dent, I can just say, it's not a big deal. The engine is still working. You're like, okay, pastor, but we also know you have a Ford Fiesta salvage title. I get it. I get it. Any other car and you're gonna struggle more than me with this. I get it. But it is kind of nice that I don't have to worry about it. I think my first week here at the church, I'm pretty sure my first week at the church, somebody keyed the side of my car. And I, that's you, you should confess your sins. Listen, but I will forgive you because it doesn't really matter. My car still works, it's not a big deal. I didn't get it fixed, it's not, it's not a, really a big deal. But listen, I wanna be that much in love with the Lord that I can let things slide. And when people say, why didn't you freak out on me? It's like, oh, God is so good to me, it's okay. I don't have to make everything right here because everything's gonna be right there. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we need to just spend time on that and recognize, am I, am I engaging with my invisible God? Am I interacting with him? Do I appreciate the spiritual gifts that he's given me? Or do I really just focus on the things I can touch and feel and see instead of the invisible kingdom that is here now and is waiting for me? Now, we possess our spiritual blessings through faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us a great definition of faith, where it says, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We have a confidence in the promises of God, what we hope for, that, that heaven is real, and we have an assurance about that. We, we actually believe it to be true in a way that alters our life. You could say faith comprehends God's spiritual blessings as fact, even though they can't be experienced by the physical senses. It's a conviction of their reality. Real faith in God alters our life because belief determines behavior. It's true, right? What we believe will alter our behavior, 
right? It's one thing if I, uh, I found out that my neighbor keyed my car, and it's another thing if my neighbor's five-year-old kid keyed my card. I'd be like, oh, well, it's a kid. It's a little kid. I shouldn't be as bad. It's a kid being, being a kid, right? My belief in what happened alters my reaction, my behavior. But you can reverse that, and this can be scary to do. We look at our behaviors, and then we trace them back to, is this belief in God and his promises or belief in myself and the world? That's where my satisfaction and security comes from. And when our behaviors are off from our belief, we realize we're not living in alignment with the gospel, and we ask the Lord for help in that area. And so in Hebrews 11, we've got stories of sinners that had great moments of faith that they are remembered for. That really is a good description of a believer. We are sinners, but we have faith in God that he will accomplish what he has promised to do. Like Enoch in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch's a character that we read about in in the book of Genesis that for some reason his faith pleased the Lord so much that God just kind of took him without, without him dying. This is a passage that's near and dear to my wife and myself because uh, after our first miscarriage, we named our, our first child Enoch Nahum Dean, the kind of name you get beat up for in fourth grade, but you don't get beat up in heaven, so it was safe to do that. I know it's uncomfortable to laugh about that. That's okay. Listen, Enoch says, the story of Enoch is the Lord took him. And that, we just felt like, yeah, the Lord allowed our child to be in heaven and not here. But Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good. So the Lord took him, but the Lord is good. And that's the anchor for our soul that we're holding on to, that God is good to keep our child alive in heaven and one day we'll be reunited. It's faith. We can't please the Lord through good works, through trying hard. It's through faith in the invisible God. The life of Enoch shows us that faith means that you believe God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you want to show your faith this week, pray, right? Praying is ridiculous if God isn't real. You're talking to an invisible thing. What's the point? What, what? But if you believe God is real, that he exists, then pray. And that's you drawing near to the Lord, and he will then reward those that draw near to him. Our prayer life is connected to that. We see Abraham. We've talked about his failures in the past, but in, in verse 8, It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were their heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, listen to this, to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So they were okay to be called foreigners and strangers. Abraham is a picture of how faith helps us to leave behind what is comfortable and convenient for what God is calling us to do. And Abraham did that. Abraham had a home. He had a family. God called him to leave that. So he left his comfortable home and he was happy to live in tents his entire life because it wasn't about him making sure he had his own little kingdom here. He knew that he had a heavenly kingdom to go to. And and one of the great descriptions of believers is that we are pilgrims just passing through. And so when things don't go right for us and people don't treat us right 
and we can't build the same kingdom here that other people are able to build, we realize that's okay. I'm passing through. I'm a citizen of heaven. I believe that I will spend more time in heaven than I did here on earth, and eventually it's just gonna feel crazy, right? I mean, right now it's such a struggle to live by faith because we see all the other options and we can touch them with our hands, but, but one day we're gonna be millions of years forward in heaven thinking, how did I take those 80 years here on earth and obsess over things instead of live by faith. This is so much more of a reality now that I'm in heaven than that little time I spent on earth. But it matters because it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. God has a plan to use us in this life. He had a plan for Moses, verse 25. It says, by faith, Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Faith looks at sin accurately and says, yes, there's a passing pleasure to sin. It's wrong to teach, you know, I'm not teaching my kids that sin really doesn't feel good. I'm gonna teach them it feels good for too short of a time and it's not worth it. It comes with baggage and pain and, and regret and you hurt people that you love. It's too short of a time to find joy in rebelling against the Lord. Moses, who grew up in Egypt, had a choice of being this Egyptian prince. He had that option, but he forsook all of that to associate with the Hebrew slaves because he knew that they was, these were just passing pleasures, passing luxuries in the palace, and he wanted to be right with God and help the people of God. Faith helps us to believe in the promises, the invisible promises of God, that it's worth it in the end to resist temptation to pursue what God wants us to pursue. And then with with Rahab in verse 31, I'm not sure why they felt the need to have the descriptor they do here, but it says, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It's intentional though. I think it's there to remind us that, that Rahab was, was living this ungodly life in this foreign land, and when, when she had an opportunity because the spies of Israel were, were spying out this land that was rightfully theirs, and then she helped them she gave them safety. She had faith. She had heard that God judged the Egyptians with 10 plagues. She knew their God was real, our God is fake, and she wanted to convert. She said, I, I believe in your God, not mine. And so God spared her. When they invaded that city, they, they saved her and anyone in her family that would also believe. They got them out of there. And Rahab was able to believe by faith that despite her lifestyle, that God would forgive her and give her a fresh start and God went above and beyond in doing this. Rahab finds herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, looking back on those that came before him for his, his humanity, has Rahab the harlot in his family line. Why? Because God isn't embarrassed of, of us, of his children, of our past. God makes us such a new creation that all that is just an old description. It has nothing to do with our present day reality. By faith, we can believe this. And finally, in verse 32, the author of Hebrews says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. I have also run out of time, and so I thought that'd be a clever place to end there. But I did promise my son Gideon I would at least mention his name, and uh, that backfired. He thought I should tell the whole story, but some other day we'll do that. Listen, there's a whole story in here in Hebrews 11 of people who, when you read their actual story, you're like, oh man, that, that guy or girl is a real sinner. They're remembered for their faith. They had faith in God even though they fell 
even though they continued in their sin, even though they went back to their sin, they had faith in their God that made them righteous. It, it wasn't that they understood who God was and then they worked really hard at doing better. No, they were still weak. And yet their faith was in the righteousness of Jesus. But because they believed in him and his work on the cross, his righteousness was attributed to their lives. And that changes everything. And that's not a brutal truth, although the cross was a brutal experience. That's an amazing truth, but it should alter our lives. And so, Father, as we look at our lives and we see our own behaviors not lining up to the belief in the good news of the gospel, we pray that you would help us to see the disconnect. Holy Spirit, that you would show us not, not where we need to work harder and do better, be better, but Lord, that we would say, this is, this is only a result of me not spending enough time with Jesus. I believe he exists. I believe that he rewards those that, that seek him. And so I'm going to pray. I'm gonna spend time in the word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be consistent in this community that you've given me here at Cornerstone so that as I spend time with you, you will transform my life. You'll do all the heavy lifting, Lord. You'll do the hard work. We have to admit our weakness and cling to you. Help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk more about Jesus and what that means for you, please come and talk to me after the service. And we have a prayer team that would love to pray for you. God bless. We'll see you next week.